The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Matthew, chapter 6, verses 24 to 34, where our Savior says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. For this reason I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? Which of you can add a single moment to his lifespan by worrying? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. But I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not clothe you even more, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the unbelievers chase after all these things. Certainly your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We are going to end in a wonderful place. We are going to end in a life of blessed, joyful service to our Heavenly Father. But before we get there, first we have to go to the place where God does not want us to live. It is the place of the chase. So do not worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the unbelievers chase after all these things. This is what unbelievers do, Jesus says. They chase after the things of this world. Every day when I'm able to walk in here to church, especially on weekday mornings, I see some pretty clear symptoms of this unbelieving worldly chase for things. Chase is a very good word for it. I see cars speeding wildly and rear-ending each other. I see people making gestures out the window. And it's interesting. It's a very cosmopolitan neighborhood. So I'm learning all these new gestures from all over the world. But I have a feeling they all pretty much come out in the same place, if you translate them. I hear horns honking. But it's not like in Minnesota they give you the polite little roadrunner honk, like, meep, meep, excuse me, the light's green. Oh, not here. No, it's you lousy. On the, on the morning that I walked in to write this sermon, a guy could not wait for me to clear a crosswalk when he was turning right, and he shouted out his window at me, hurry up, I got to get to work. And I didn't shout anything back just because Jesus got his hand over my mouth just in time. <laughs> and there are a lot of symptoms for this frantic, unbelieving chase of our world. One thing that drives it is good old-fashioned greed. No matter how much I get, I just got to chase and get more and more. And there's selfish ambition, just to want to elbow ahead of other people and get everywhere first and be first everywhere in the world. But then there are a couple of other driving factors behind this that Jesus identifies today in our gospel. And one is worry. See, the unbelieving heart reasons like this. I got to get 
food and shelter for myself. And if I don't get it for myself, I'm going to starve or freeze. And the heart that reasons that way is going to fill up very quickly with worry. And then it's off to this worried, frantic chase to get all the things it needs. Now, is it, is it wrong to want to move in this world? To want to make money and get stuff done? If it is driven by worry that you're not going to have what you need, absolutely, it's wrong. And it's not just wrong, it's a damnable offense to your Heavenly Father who promises to give you everything that you are going to need for your life. And besides the worry, Jesus identifies in the opening verses of this Gospel another driver behind the unbelieving, the frantic chase for the things of this world, and that is the love of those things themselves. Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. And again we could ask, is it wrong to go for the stuff of this world? Is it wrong to want more stuff, better stuff? Well, if it is the love of that stuff that's driving it, if it has become your master so that you serve it, absolutely, it's wrong. And it's not just wrong, it's sinful. It's wrong in the eyes of God. And it's worth noting that as Jesus mentions this unbelieving chase for the stuff of this world, he's not speaking to unbelievers. He is speaking to men who do believe in him. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. So why would Jesus even mention the unbelieving chase of this world to people who do believe? Well, we are living in a world full of mostly unbelievers and mostly unbelief, where this chase for more stuff that's driven by worry and by servitude to those things, that is the norm. That is the usual thing that surrounds us every day. And it pulls us off in that direction, toward worry and toward the love of the things of this world. But even more importantly than that, even worse than the unbelieving influence around me is the unbelieving influence in my own heart. No one is born a believer in Jesus. And even after you come to faith in Jesus, you still have some of that unbelief sticking in your heart. And that means no matter how strong your faith in Jesus is, you're still going to worry sometimes about having enough of what you need in this life. And you're still going to have this tendency to fall in love with those things, serve them, and to chase after them. So speaking to his believers, to his own people today, Jesus says, stop for a minute. Stop. And look at this, Jesus says. Stop and consider this, Jesus says. Stop and remember this. And then you can get up and move again. But this time you can go without worry and you can go serving the right master. Jesus says, stop and look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or gather into barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God adores his entire creation. He loves everything he made. And this is a theological point you may not have been thinking you were going to get when you walked into church today. But God seems to have a special level of love for birds. 
and I can back this up scripturally in many ways. God used birds to alert Noah that the floodwaters were finally receding. He used ravens to miraculously feed his prophet Elijah. When the Holy Spirit takes on a physical form, it's often the form of a bird, a dove. Jesus says in another place, not even one of these dime a dozen sparrows can fall to the ground without the Heavenly Father knowing about it. God loves birds a lot. Here's a theological point that matters quite a bit more that you should remember. As fond as God is of birds, he loves you a whole lot more. And the scriptural basis for this is a lot more clear and a lot more important. You, the human, you are the only piece of God's creation that he personally handcrafted. You, the human being, you are the only one that God breathed his own breath of life into when he created you. And you, the human being, you are the only one that God made in his own divine image. And most importantly, you are the only piece of God's creation that he ever became one of. When God's son came into this world, he did not come as a bald eagle to save bald eagles, and he did not come as a blue jay to save blue jays. He came as a human being to save you and me, humans. So when that son of God who has come to save us asks this rhetorical question, are you not much more valuable than they? We know the answer is, of course we are. And the one standing there in the flesh asking that question, he is our living, breathing proof of how valuable we are. Because he's there in the flesh, teaching those disciples and these disciples the will of God so that we will know it and live by it. He is there in the flesh as one of us to step into the place of every sinful worrier and stuff server. And to live a perfect life free from that worry and materialism with full, simple faith in his heavenly Father to provide everything he needs. And he does it to be our righteousness. Through faith in Jesus, the righteousness of God, the righteousness we need to enter the kingdom of heaven is ours. He's there in the flesh to die on the cross. To wash away our worry, our materialism, and all of our other sins. And he's there in the flesh to rise from the dead. So that we will too. And live forever. Stop, Jesus says. Look at the birds of the air and how they eat. Consider your value compared to theirs. You know your father is going to feed you too. And then Jesus says, stop. And consider this. Which of you can add a single moment to his lifespan by worrying? Why do you worry about clothing? Consider how the lilies of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory was dressed like one of these. Consider the lilies, Jesus says. And we'll do that in a minute. But first we could consider this. What does worrying get you? What good does it do you? Jesus says it can't add a moment to your life, and that's true. There's pretty strong evidence it can subtract moments from your life, but it cannot add moments to your life. You know, we could try a little experiment later today. We could all come back here at 3 o'clock this afternoon, and you just sit right where you are, and I'll stand here, and I'm going to spend five hours worrying. You just watch me worry about clothes for five hours. And we'll see at 8 o'clock tonight how many clothes have appeared in the chancel because I stood here and worried about it for five hours. 
We don't have to do that experiment because we know what the answer is going to be. If, on the other hand, I calmly and confidently spent those five hours stocking shelves or sweeping floors, then would I have money for clothes? If I was really up against it financially and couldn't work, and I announced to you, Christians, that I genuinely needed clothes, would I not be buried in clothes? Not in five hours, but in five minutes? If this is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not clothe you even more, you of little faith? As you are much more valuable than birds, you are also much more valuable than lilies. And God dresses them magnificently, even though they are here and alive and beautiful today and tomorrow dead and thrown into the fire and gone forever. But you are God's everlasting creation. He made you with a soul that is going to live forever, a body that will too, thanks to Jesus' resurrection. He clothes the lilies of the field. He's going to clothe you too. Jesus says, look at the birds of the air, look at the lilies of the field, and know your value compared to them. So do not worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the unbelievers chase after all these things. Certainly your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Not only are you eternally valuable to God, but God is more than just your God. Jesus calls him here your father. You are his dear child through faith in his son, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't stop there. He also calls him your heavenly father. That is to remind you that God is in the position of perfect knowledge and total power. He knows exactly what you need to live in this world, and he has all the power in the universe to give it to you. So that should pretty much do it for worry in the life of a Christian. We can move past that now, put worry aside. But there was that other problem that Jesus pointed out in the opening verses of this gospel, and that is falling in love with and serving the things of this world. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon. I think for most Christians in this part of the world, this is the, the greater force pulling us toward the chase for stuff. Because I don't know how many of us are genuinely worried about where our next meal or our next pair of shoes is going to come from. But I think for many of us, God has filled our lives with so many beautiful blessings that it becomes easy to fall in love with them and serve them instead of serving the one who gave them to us. And this is where it would be a good time for us again to stop and consider the lilies of the field. Beautiful today, magnificently dressed. Tomorrow, into the fire and gone forever. You know what else is going into the fire? All of the flowers that are currently beautifying the property that you own. You know what else is going into the fire? The house on that property. You know what else is going into the fire? Your car, your clothes, every other material possession that you own in this world, it's all destined for the flames. Here today, gone tomorrow, gone forever. But God is forever. His kingdom is forever. The righteousness that he gives us in our Savior Jesus, that's forever too. And so that kingdom of God belongs to us forever. When we remember this, 
then we seek God's kingdom first and the righteousness of our Savior Jesus. And how do we do that? How do we seek the kingdom and the righteousness first? You do it by opening your eyes and ears to the love of God. You can read about it in the Bible or in devotionals that are faithful to the word of God. We've got a whole table full of them in the back of church. And I just, we don't order that many to begin with, and I'm always scratching my head at the end of the month when I'm dumping half of them into the garbage. Take those devotion books home with you. Use them. They, they proclaim the love of God to you from the scriptures. Have a daily devotion with yourself, with someone you love. But we seek God's kingdom first when we come here and commune. Because in his supper, Jesus is giving us the body of his own body and blood and the forgiveness of our sins. He's opening up the kingdom of heaven to us again. We do it when we take a daily walk in our soul back to the waters of baptism and remember how the Spirit clothed us in the righteousness of Christ and gave us our spot in the kingdom of heaven. That's how we seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God first. And when we do that, the worry and the love of things and the chase that results, that drops out of our life. And what comes in its place? Well, maybe a life of laziness where I will lie in my hammock with my Arnold Palmer and say, well, God has promised to provide everything I need, so now I'll just sit here and wait for him to drop it out of the sky into my lap. Or maybe a mooching life where I take advantage of the charitable hearts of my fellow Christians. Or maybe a childish twisting of Jesus' words not to worry about tomorrow into an excuse to have no plan and direction for my life whatsoever. No. <laughs> any Christian who lands in any of those places, and some do, is not thinking this through. If you seek the kingdom of God first, and you rest your heart on the righteousness of Christ, you are still going to move in this world. You are still going to run fast. And you are still going to work. You're going to work hard, and you're going to strive, and you're going to struggle. The only difference is now you're going to do it without worrying and with faith. And you're going to do it serving the right master. Not the things of this world, but your heavenly father. And it's interesting that Christians who have been set free to work without worrying, to run without chasing, to serve the right master, they end up running faster and working harder and serving more strongly than unbelievers or Christians who do not take these words of Jesus very seriously. Because worry and the love of things weighs you down. And it robs you of joyful energy. But when you seek God's kingdom first and his righteousness, you end up getting blessed in every direction. You get life forever in the kingdom of heaven. In the meantime, God comes through and gives you all the things you need in this world. And he often gives a whole lot more than that. And you get to live your life without worry in joyful service to your Heavenly Father. You see what an amazing existence that is. The, blessed, the best possible life that there could be in this world. And that is the existence that God wants to give all of his people. It's much of what Jesus is talking about when he says in another place, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You get life forever in the kingdom thanks to Jesus. And you get a life in this world where you get to work without worrying 
You get to run without chasing and you get to serve the right master. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you as well. Amen.